listeners, and welcome to another episode of Film is Lit, the podcast where we compare and contrast a piece of literature to its film or television adaptation. My name is Laura Sheher, and I am the lit expert. Thanks, Laura. My name is Danny, and I'm the film expert married to this dame over here. Oh, please. We're a real-life married couple, and I know what you're thinking. Oh, gosh. Cringe. I wasn't thinking that. It's very sweet. <laughs> I guess it is. I, th- I It's sweet to us, but we don't know who's listening to this. Just our families. And friends. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time, uh, this is a full spoilers podcast. We're letting that be known right at the top, so you have been warned. I'm glad that you said thank you, listeners, because actually I wrote myself a post-it note um, we don't say thank you to our listeners enough. I so, guess you're right. Uh, and I just watched a video on how to podcast better. And one of the things was listener engagement. So oh, cool. Yeah. So thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Cause obviously we do it just because we have fun doing it. Yes. But then when we see the people actually download, for example, our Captain America episode that we just dropped a couple weeks ago is flaming hot. So thank you for listening. Yeah, it's a hit. It's doing gangbusters right now, mostly due to Pete, probably his friends. Well, so that was another thing I was going to say. For the most part, our guest episodes are the ones that get the most downloads. I think they're usually the most fun. Mm -hmm. So we should also thank our guests for making so much time for us. I know. It's become a really good way to stay in touch with friends, to make new ones, to keep in touch with our family members as well, which is very important. It's been a blast, and we've just came up on the two-year anniversary of the the start of this podcast, and yeah, we're not going to stop anytime soon. So thank you, listeners. Yeah, it's flattering that you're even tuning in. I mean, who would have thought? I know. Seriously, I don't think I would have met Noah, Kayla, or Peter, or Ryan, for that matter. Yeah. Any of those people. So yeah. Or Matt and Tim Gaylord. Probably never would have met them. Yeah. But I'm I'm actually cool with that. They suck. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Not the best episodes. <laughs> Just kidding. We have so much fun with them. We're but, just saying that so they come back and we get a bump in downloads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're we do it for the downloads. But thank you, <laughs> listeners. You are valued. What? Do you want a trophy or something? Anyways, what do we got on tap for today? All right, Laura? let's introduce it. So we're actually gonna cover another graphic novel, which wow. is so interesting to me. Two because, in a row. Like I said, right before we started this podcast, I had never read a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. in memory, I guess. I did read Captain Underpants, full disclosure. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> I'd say it counts. I guess it does. It honestly just popped in my head. All literature I is literature, baby. loved Captain Underpants. Who didn't? But we are not covering Captain Underpants on this episode. We're covering slightly <laughs> more serious. And 80% of our listenership just <laughs> dropped out. Thank you. No, actually, I think people probably were like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that series true um no we are we are going to be covering something slightly more serious slightly (laughs) Uh, we're going to be covering the bond designé persepolis written in 2000 so what is what is that um it is french for strip stories or drawn strips so it's basically a comic but it's specifically kind of like a like a Belgian French story comic, which has Mm -hmm. kind of like a different history than American comics, which is kind of cool. That's sort of the technical way of describing the genre. It's also shortened to BD. Interesting. Um, But obviously we'll just probably refer to it as a graphic novel. All right, cool. But it was interesting when I started Googling it, that's what came up. So I wanted to introduce that. Excellent. And it's an autobiographical graphic novel. That's true too. Yeah, so... I have shared my feelings about biopics. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's interesting about this story is that it was written by Marjan Satrapi. And she has given interviews and she's been fully honest that some is fact and some is fiction, which was honestly a little bit of a letdown for me because right. I thought it was all true. And, and that's just a personal opinion of mine because I did try to start Googling around what was 
fact and fiction and I couldn't like fully unearth all of the details. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I, I did really enjoy the graphic novel and the movie, but I think that detracted a little bit from it. Although I think overall, like her point or her goal of both the book and the movie are just to humanize the Iranian experience Definitely. for for different types of perspectives. So I think that is very, very successful. She does that in flying colors, I mm -hmm. think, in both the book and the movie. But yeah, I, I, I wanted to know a little bit more about what was her truth and what was her fiction because I did really enjoy it. And so I wanted to kind of, it's, it's interesting for someone with a goal to like humanize her own experience. I thought, it would be nice to sort of connect. Something that I really connected with personally was her relationship with her grandmother. Yeah. And I really, I hope that that's true because I think those were the most like genuine uh, moments in the movie and in the book. I think more so in the movie, which I really, really enjoyed. But yeah, yeah like I, I don't know. Like that's, that's the thing that I kind of struggle with sometimes with biopics where it's sure. like, I do want to know what's true and what's not. But that's just my, my opening thoughts. Right, but I believe this is our first autobiography on the podcast. It probably is. It's also our, I think, our shortest movie mm -hmm. coverage. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So since it's an autobiography, there might even be some truth within the fabricated events because it is the creator's life oh, who absolutely. is imbuing the scenes with her truth, even though what's literally happened might not be what exactly went down so no yeah absolutely i'm not like questioning yeah, yeah. whether it's autobiographical or not she shares that she added some things for dramatic emphasis which gotcha. again is totally fine this is her story that she lived mm -hmm. but there was there was some stuff i just i just wanted to know you know the true details but this is also our first animated film on the podcast. Is it really? Yep. Oh, because we haven't done Fantastic Mr. Fox yet. Correct. Which I'm excited to cover. Yeah, that's um, next season. Ooh, a ooh, glimpse into next season. That's far wait. away. But yeah, so you had mentioned the graphic novel. So it was adapted in 2007 into a black and white animated film by Satrapi herself. And she collaborated with fellow director Vincent Perrineau. And Satrapi also had a hand in the animation process. There's 20 animators on this film, but Satrapi was kind of the lead. She's not necessarily an animator. That's not her main profession, but she did dabble in it and research new ways of how to create 2D animation for this film. Well, it should be mentioned too that she illustrated the original graphic novels. Mm -hmm. So right. she is an artist. And also while we're introducing the book in the film about halfway through the film which is about 93 minutes i think mm -hmm. it started talking about stuff that i had never read in the book when i started doing my research i realized that this is actually book one of two and i oh. probably should have read the second one but that's kind of the pros and cons of not wanting to go in with any context. Mm -hmm. I usually like that. I don't like knowing anything about a story before I start reading it, which is why I'm very strict about not watching movies before I've read their source material. But in this case, I didn't even know enough about the source material to start yeah. to start the movie. Uh, so I, full disclosure, we will not be discussing the second graphic novel one because I'm a dumbass and didn't realize that there were two parts. Yep, I'm not gonna, re <laughs> I'm not gonna refute that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't even read it at all, so. And I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> oh, wait, you're editing this one. Crap. Um, yeah, well, let's get to our personal journeys with the source material. Mm -hmm. I had always known that this was on the IMDb's top 250 list. And it's also is high up in lists of top international films. Uh, this came out in... 2007 was nominated in 2008 for best animated feature it lost out to ratatouille which mm -hmm. I, I mean it's ratatouille mm -hmm. you know everyone's yeah. favorite rat cooking rat so yeah. oh we watched um everything everywhere, everywhere all, all at, at once, once. Yeah, a little while ago and oh my gosh rakakuni was one of my favorite moments yeah. of the whole movie. sorry i interrupted you so i've only ever known about this movie in conjunction with ratatouille and the <laughs> fact that it lost but it, how it was this very informative edgy black and white animated film and i gotta be honest 
The reason why I never approached this film before was because the animation style did not look interesting to me. In fact, I wasn't even pumped to watch this movie the other night uh, just because I didn't think I would find the animation style compelling or even watchable. But um, I was proven wrong. This is... This is a pretty darn good film and an informative one mm-hmm. at that. It's embarrassing to say I know nothing about Iran or th- its culture or the wars that have happened or the Islamic uh, fundamentalist reform that has gone on. I literally know zero. Uh, so this film uh, couldn't have been more educational for me. I lost the thread a few times in the beginning. It was a little hard to follow. Some of it is my fault. Some of it is the film's fault, not Mm -hmm. explaining it at all. I mean, I'm not asking them to hold my hand through it, but maybe a little bit more information for outsiders like me. But that being said, I still think it is compelling. And for as dour and dark as the situation is and of Marjan's life is, because of the animation style and the narration style, it is lighter and... Mm more joyous than I was expecting. I think it was a neat way to illustrate the tumultuous times in Iran and through the late 70s to now. And adult animation has its its ups and downs for me, but this was a case where it did work. Maybe not the most compelling thing we've ever watched or read, but it is still... I just think for its uh, educational purposes, it's very valuable and It's a a big recommend uh, for me. Well, I think to your point, Satrapi's goal, and I think her approach with the graphic novel medium, was to take a very complex situation. In fact, we can use this to talk about the title, Persepolis, because that references the ancient capital of the Persian Empire and using it as a touch point to demonstrate that the Iranian revolution has 3,000 years of context behind it. Right. And so while she breaks it down to be slightly more understandable to her words, the Western world, the Western perspective, I think the approach to, again, use not only the graphic novel medium, but also use her as a child and growing into an adolescent and a young woman we get to see the really simplistic perspective of these things. And I think what she's saying with that is like, that's sort of a childish way to approach these ideas, is that this is a very simplistic (laughs) issue, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of giving it that time to really invest in understanding these complex issues. And then we see her opinions really come around to understanding, you know, like I think she's challenging the reader and the audience to do. So to your point, I also learned a lot by reading and watching. I think you have a really good point about the movie going really fast. We watched it in French with English subtitles and those subtitles, man, like you have to keep up. Like there's no way that you can check out for any second of this film. Um, And I think that may be a little bit of a downfall for the film because I got a lot of the context just from reading and I was able to reread a couple things a bunch of times because even in that, you really have to keep up, even in the graphic novel. So I think that's maybe one of the flaws that the movie has. Mm -hmm. But we are team sub over team dub. Oh, yeah. We should mention that. We're purists here. Yeah, um, absolutely. We can handle subtitles, all right? Yeah, and... Absolutely. Even if we have to pause and go back a couple yeah. times to, to fully grasp what's going on on the screen. Anyway, I guess, are you done with your journey? Is it my turn? Yep. I started to learn about the Iranian revolution slightly early in my life because of something that I don't know that we've introduced to readers yet. I am a massive and active philatelist, meaning that I collect stamps I love stamps. I have a passion for stamps. Oh, God, here she goes. If you get get me on to the... This is something, too, that it's it's funny. Like, Danny is a new... It's one of those things where it's in my past because I, as an adult, I don't have a lot of 
time to collect stamps and we also live in an apartment that's has restricted space and so I don't really have space to like collect but sometimes when we're at my parents house I'll bring my stamp collection out and Danny's like wait I just like forgot that this is part of your life (laughs) um I cannot recommend collecting stamps enough um to anyone who's listening I mean it is cool it's one of those like recluse kind of activities where I was a very quiet kid and honestly like I couldn't even tell you what started this like passion I do truly have a passion for stamps don't get me started um but here's the thing when I was young I started collecting when I was around like I don't know 10 or 10 to 13 like in that time period and I was also homeschooled I think I have talked about that between the grades of three and eight so I started learning geography and history and sociopolitics like all of these like really interesting concepts just from a bunker underground yeah right I know know it makes my parents sound like they were like survivalists they weren't um so I, I again I collected international stamps and I started seeing these Iranian stamps and honestly like every time I found a stamp about something or someone or an animal that I didn't know about I had the internet to use as my guide and so I would start googling and reading and learning through these things collecting stamps let me tell you as a parent I think I would want my kid to get into it because it really does open your eyes and these are things that these are source documents you know what I mean like these are original source documents that come from people and it's a really interesting interaction between citizens and government because stamps are created by the government they're printed by the government but they're used by citizens I think that's a really interesting interplay of concepts so in particular Iranian stamps within a very specific time period changed drastically. And so this is what really interested me in this concept. And I think that also like specifically contextualizes what happened pre and post revolution. And this is specifically in the year of 1979. Because if you look up photographs of Iran pre-revolution, it's just like you're looking at photographs of California in the 70s, basically. You know, right. people are are wearing jeans and button-down shirts with long hair and lapels, right? It's very 70s. And only after this very fundamentalist group took power of the government, do you see the stamps change? Do you see a drastic change in especially female garb? Mm -hmm. So that I think is also what really intrigues me about not only this time period, but the country's political machinations in general. Another like piece of context that I kind of take going into this was reading the book, Reading Lolita in Tehran, which also takes place during the revolution. And it talks about the switch, especially again for women, focusing on women's experience between having freedom and not having freedom. And that touch point watershed moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) is just really interesting. I think that's one of the the driving force behind satrapy's like Mm -hmm. sense of bewilderment in this story because it's so jarring to go like from a child who has every freedom that a child has to you know wearing the veil and not being able to express herself in music art education all of these freedoms that she was used to as a child and then sort of growing as an adolescent and having those things taken away when that's like the focus of your life is mm-hmm. is expressing yourself. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm kind of trailing off a little bit, but that's that's what I find so compelling about this story. Right. She's also experiencing the opposite of what you'd think a revolution would be, which is yes. an influx of freedom, which is actually the opposite happens. And To your point, I had no idea what Iran looked like pre-1979. I ignorantly thought that the country looked like what it does for decades, but it very much was, I think, a thriving country in terms of technology and culture pre-1979. And so she's seeing a revolt against the Shah of Iran in 1979, the original ruler, for some context. Again, I had no idea about that. And even though there was the downfall of the Shah, which is what they wanted, what was replaced was something much worse uh, for culture and for women. Uh, so not only were women's freedoms stripped away and they had to wear full 
wardrobes that that cover all skin and uh, their hair. Other but, than face, uh, other sometimes. Than face, yeah, yeah, that's. But also yeah. pop things like pop culture, so music, uh, Michael Jackson or mm-hmm. Jekyll Maxson, as they say in the film, and alcohol. I, I mean, how lame is that? That <laughs> alcohol is banned. Well, don't get me don't get me started on religious. I'm going to use the word cults running government. Um, I mean, I think for this situation, it's true. Right. I think that's what's, again, that's so compelling about this story is the absolutism that goes along with this form of religious government and how it's particularly targeted at women. But on top of that, concurrently... There's also a war between Iran and Iraq. Yeah. Which, again, I had no idea about the timeline of this. It's one thing to have your freedoms completely stripped away, but to live in a war zone Mm -hmm. for your whole life or upbringing, at least. I mean, that. so that's why... That's why the story is so compelling. At every single point of her life, Marjan is experiencing intense oppression, but we like her as a character because she's such a rebel and she speaks her mind when um, others don't. Of course, that gets her into trouble and she's kind of kicked out or of certain schools and pushed away to Vienna to live. But through being kicked out and through her journey, she really comes into her own. It's just a coming-of-age story, right? And yeah. so it's important that we like Marjan moving forward through this story. Yeah, I love that we already sort of introduced the idea of how funny this story is. Mm-hmm. She's so attuned to what's funny as a child and then as an adolescent and then as a young woman. Like, even how she talks and how she, like, listens to quote-unquote western music Mm -hmm. all of that is so joyous to watch you know and i think like that's one of the most important things about the whole story is like as much as she's in the middle of a war zone and in the middle of a religious government taking over every single aspect of public and private rights it's so funny Mm -hmm. like and and there's those people that are going through these massive life interruptions, disruptions, there's still family and there's still love and there's still romance and there's still, you know, one of the things that really stuck out to me in the book and the movie was this anecdote about her grandmother wearing jasmine flowers and her bra to make her smell nice. Like those are the human moments, Mm -hmm. the humanistic moments. And even with people in this massively crumbling situation there are those like beautiful things Mm -hmm. that she brings to the surface yeah an author once wrote through secret rebellions reveal people's true aspirations Hmm. and wants quote michael scott quote me (laughs) (laughs) but um but it's true it applies it applies to this before we get into some of the differences between the source material and the movie. I also wanted to mention that this is a co-production between France and Iran, which is very rare. It's very rare for a movie from Iran to get nominated for um, any Oscar, really. It usually it would be under uh, best foreign language, well, international now, uh, foreign language at the time. But uh, animated is almost unheard of, and especially for a co-production. I just think that that's shows kind of some unity between two countries with uh, very different (laughs) perspectives, both politically and in religion. So I I just think that's kind Mm -hmm. of a beautiful thing that two production companies from two different countries came together to fund this. And that being said, this was very controversial when it was released in Iran. It was heavily censored and banned in certain areas and wasn't released in Iran when it was released everywhere else in the world. It had to, there was a waiting period for a while, an almost year-long waiting period. So by the time it was nominated for an Oscar, it was hadn't even come out yet in Iran, just to show you kind of the censorship process there. Yeah, so with that being said, let's get to a big difference between the book and the movie. Laura, any that stand out to you? Yes, so as a matter of fact, the first scene in the movie is actually in color, which I was surprised at because none of the book is in color. Wait, what? And, yeah. This is where I find out I'm colorblind. (laughs) I thought everything was green and brown. (laughs) 
<laughs> we need to take we need to take a break and process this. <laughs> um, so yes, so the movie is framed with her basically having black and white flashbacks, kind of reliving this childhood into adulthood. And I don't know that we needed that. I was interested to see where that thread would lead us throughout the film. And I don't know that it was necessary. It also didn't like fully intrude into the narrative, but I don't know that we needed it. It was a little bit distracting, I guess. I agree with you 80%. My only pushback is I think the final scene with her mm. having come from Iran, being picked up by a taxi, and the man saying, where are you from? True. She says, Iran. That's the yes. biggest theme of the movie is identity and staying true to yourself. Mm. Before uh, she leaves Iran, her grandma is trying to convince her to leave to fulfill her potential. And Marjan is having this big internal battle saying, well, if I leave, that's like denying that I'm Iranian. Mm-hmm. It's like denying my culture. I'm I'm fleeing what I know just because it's uncomfortable. And she also says that people from other countries will think that she's a bloodthirsty, violent, loud fanatic like everyone else in the country. That that's what she says. And her grandma's saying like, "Do you think that's any reason to not to deny your roots? Do you remember what I told you? Be true to yourself." And that that is the theme. And this is a thing that I've learned in screenwriting class. You need to tell your theme directly to the audience. You need to say it in a way that's not spelling it out, mm. but you need to integrate it in a way. It's not that audiences are stupid. It's just that if you frame it in a way that feels natural, like actual dialogue, mm. then subconsciously audiences will attach that theme to everything that they are watching. Mm -hmm. So I think the final scene with her I think it would have been cool if the whole movie is in black and white, mm -hmm. and then once she gets to present time, all of a sudden it's color. We realize that what we've watched is flashbacks, memories of her as she's traveling from Iran, and then she exemplifies the whole theme of what her grandma was saying was, be true to yourself. Totally true. Yes, I completely agree with you, actually. I'm going to walk back my statement. I think that is a really important part of the movie, especially because when she's living in Vienna, she is denying that she's from Iran multiple mm -hmm. times. She says that she's from, you know, she's kind of vague about being French because she does speak French, um, and she introduces herself in a very different way, and she tries to integrate herself into the Austrian culture, and that ultimately doesn't feel right to her, and that's why she comes home to Tehran. Yeah. And so exactly to your point, it is really powerful when the taxi driver asks her where she's from and she fully claims her identity in yeah. that in that last moment of the movie it that might be in the second book unfortunately i don't know but i think it was really powerful for the last scene of the movie yeah but that's not at all in the first book so the first book actually ends at the first trip out of Iran to Vienna when she's young. And actually her grandmother does not come to the airport in that scene. Oh. So the book actually ends with her mother passing out, which is in basically like right in the middle of the film. Yeah. And interestingly enough too, Margie, which is her nickname in the book, sees her mother pass out while she's leaving. Whereas in the movie, she turns away and at that moment her mother passes out. Yeah. So it's like a different way, I think, of like experiencing that vulnerability of yeah. her mother. I think in the movie, she's so gung-ho about leaving and she realizes too late while she's in Vienna that she wants to connect with her roots. But mm. in the book, it's mm -hmm. kind of like the fact that she turns around and sees her mother is like she's already has already started that journey to like return mm. to her home, mm -hmm. even though she hasn't left mm -hmm. yet. Yeah, good point. Perhaps that's me reading into it, but... That is also an interpretation. No, I, I think that's that's a good read of it. Well, thanks. <laughs> what are some other differences? I think another difference is the emphasis that she puts on her religiosity, I guess, at a young age. Mm -hmm. She says a couple times in the movie that she wants to be a prophet when she grows up. Mm -hmm. And she also has a couple conversations with like a kind of classically realized God figure, mm -hmm. which is funny. 
those moments are, are very funny. They're also dark. Dark, yeah. And something that actually spoke to me, because in my upbringing, a lot of times I would like I try to talk to God and blame my problems on like otherworldly religious uh-huh. figures, like not swooping in to save me. I mm-hmm. I couldn't quite put put together the concept of responsibility and taking ownership of my actions. I was more like, why isn't God stepping in to help me? So right, yeah. That I think that's like the, and I don't mean this as a dig, but I think that that's again sort of like a childish way of of using religion. Right. Right. Like children don't know how to take responsibility. I don't think religion necessarily fixes that problem. I think sometimes it feeds it. And she's a child when she's thinking these things. So I think like I'm making that connection between like not understanding how to use that like fear, I guess, or or those like feelings of uncomfortableness. Mm -hmm. Um, You sort of look externally in religion, whereas you know, you should be looking internally and and sort of solving those things for yourself. And I think that's really the arc that she comes to eventually is that she has that power to take claim of her roots. Mm-hmm. Um, and she doesn't need that like external guide, I guess. And she also sees like the, when she's a child, she really like connects with the people who want that like religious fervor because she sees herself as a prophet. And then later she comes to realize like, she, she values different things. Um, but yeah, she talks a lot more about being that prophet character and how that doesn't, how her, her sort of childish conceptions of God and religion are going to be in her future. Right. Um, in the book, I think. Yeah. Than she does in the movie. As I see you skim through the book, I do notice how the animation style is similar, but it is not exact. I would say that characters in the book feel a little bit more cartoonish whereas the humans in the story in the movie resemble a little bit more like actual human anatomy and human facial structure Mm. um they you know the characters in the book have bigger eyes and, and rounder faces but i think the movie is more focused on realism uh, a fun fact that I came across as to why Satrapi and Perrineau wanted to do animation as opposed to live action is according to uh, Satrapi, she said with live action, it would have turned into a story of people living in a distant land who don't look like us. Mm. At best, it would have been an exotic story. At worst, a third world story. So mm. I think even though the characters are slightly based to look like Iranian people, they also are, since it's in black and white, it's more of like kind of a blank slate. So you, the viewer, regardless of your race, identity, culture, upbringing, where you live, you can kind of put yourself in the shoes of the of the characters. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that with it being black and white. You can't say like, oh, that's a you know, brown-skinned person or something. So mm-hmm. that's that's not my... I can't connect to that story. I don't know if this is similar or not in the same vein, you tell me. But as I'm flipping through, another difference in the animation that I noticed is when her father goes into the context of the fall of the Shah. There's a few strips of animation about how that came about. And that's a little bit more classically like illustrated like, oh, you know, this person has a crown, so he's a king. And this person has a a cloak, so he's a king. Um, This person has glasses, so he's smart. And I actually really like how they changed the illustration in the movie because that's actually more, I think, Iranian-centric. I think there's a lot more like cultural cues that they add into that style, which Mm. I appreciate because that that is grounded in Iranian history. And I love how a lot of the central characters are are created as kind of like paper puppets that have like joints that move and they kind of dance and walk in a way that make you think that they that there's something behind their motives. And obviously that's not something that you can do in 2D animation, but I thought it was really, really cool when we got to see it in the movie. Right. And it gives it a slightly 
eerie feeling as well, mm. along with being comedic. You know what it reminded me of? Kind of the 2D animation in uh, oh, the new Candyman. Candyman! That's so true! Yeah. Yeah, you told... Oh, How the flashbacks are shown that. like that, too. Those kind of stiff movements, 3D, like cardboard cutouts. Yes! Characters. God, that was such a good movie. Yeah, it's it's solid. We, we're big fans of that of the Candyman franchise Condiment. on this podcast. Yes. Go go back and listen to our Candyman episode. We cover the short story, the 1992 film, and then the latest film, the 2020 film. I believe so. Anyways, back to Persepolis. So yeah, I guess back to the animation that we were talking about. I think that's interesting because I watched an interview with satrapy and she said that she never wanted to make this a film oh wow and that the only reason she did was because her friend wanted to be the producer (laughs) um (laughs) yeah which is i mean honestly good on that friend yeah cash that check (laughs) (laughs) um but i think like those are kind of the moments that you see her and well i guess she she goes into a little bit more detail about why she didn't want to make this into a movie at first. But I think in moments that change between the graphic novel and the movie are the points where you see her saying like, oh yeah, like this is still the true story that I wanted to tell, but I get to blow that out a little bit more because I can add movement. So I, I feel like, again, obviously I can't confirm this because I'm not interviewing her, but I feel like those are the moments where she found a lot more like space to play with because Mm -hmm. she could integrate movement that she couldn't integrate in the book. So I think those are some of the moments that I enjoyed the most. I really love the movie sense of flow. It Mm. really moves at a clip, as we said in the beginning, but also scenes kind of merge in with each other in the animation style. Like when a scene will end, the characters will fade out and move out of frame, and mm. then locations will move in. Mm-hmm. Like this, like the scenery. Yeah. Will like move in, almost like a play. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. I really like the artistic decision to make all the Islamic fundamentalist uh, police men to be to look like the same person, mm. just a, a tall guy with um, a full beard. Mm-hmm. By making it one face, they kind of become a, a faceless harsh organization just a thing a force they're not humans anymore they've been conditioned to be these this just force that sucks up all fun all all life um everything they're like on top of being the biggest bummer of all time they're also (laughs) like murderers on, on top of that to your point the only time that we see individual soldiers animated in a way that's not in that faceless sort of clone way mm-hmm. are the moments when people in Margie's family are able to connect to them and bring That's out right. bring out their sort of their true selves because there's this one point where they're pulled over her family is pulled over while they're driving home from a party and the soldier that interacts with them is so young that he's animated with acne yeah. And her mother tries to humanize not only herself, but also they sort of use this lie about Margie's grandmother having diabetes to be able to run up to their apartment and pour all of their alcohol down the toilet. Um, <laughs> like they're freshmen and 100%. Yeah. RAs coming around. Right. To but check it. obviously, sadly, they would have worse consequences if they were caught with alcohol (laughs) um quote unquote western decadence um so those are the moments that we see like and i think that her statement with that and again this is total analysis and opinion but i think that satrapy's goal with moments like that is that these faceless soldiers have bought into this religiosity that has actually completely erased those 3,000 years of history. And they've focused everybody on what's happening now and what this one person wants to see happening to the country at this time period. It doesn't take into account any of that context. And so that creates this like fervor 
that sort of forces people to act in the same way or else you will have consequences. You will go to jail, you'll be executed, you will be taken away from your family, assassinated, which happens to, you know, family friends, like real people that, you know, not sort of third party people like Margie's uncle is killed in prison for these types of rebellions. And those moments when I think like her family has this like unique ability to make people remember their history and remember their roots and remember that like being Iranian doesn't have to mean this, you know, dehumanizing religion um, or I should say sect of Islamism. Yes. They have this like unique ability to make people remember that. And that again, is kind of like Margie's struggle throughout the whole story is like, you know, being Iranian right now is painful because our people are going through a really painful time. But there's also this like history and this beautiful history. For example, like her her grandmother wearing those that jasmine in her bra, like that's probably something that she learned from her mother or another ancestor. Like that's sort of ancestral knowledge that's beautiful that she wants to like seek roots Mm-hmm. in so i i think that that like that's really effective in the way that they can animate things for sure but you couldn't you couldn't express that i think through through live action because then it would kind of be racist by saying like oh all these people look different but they're all supposed to look the same right you know what i mean like that would yeah. come across as a little strange yeah things can be misconstrued when you're casting people mm-hmm. um in real life mm-hmm. but with animation you can get away with a lot of different things and have different interpretations that are not afforded with actual real flesh and blood yeah. people. Yeah, it's also just refreshing to watch something like this to experience a story that takes place in the Middle East just by virtue of the fact that there's just not many of these stories out there on the filmic medium in any way. I mean, especially about the Middle East. I mean, I you didn't like the movie uh, that we just watched last weekend, 3,000 Years of Longing. Uh, I didn't, no. But, but I think it, that still is something that's interesting, at least, to, to find you know, glimpses into different cultures, uh, histories of the Middle East, but yeah, the you had a problem with the storytelling. Anyways, we're not talking about that movie. I know. Don't get me started. <laughs> I I know. I have like a million things are going through my head about yeah. that. But anyway, I liked it. You can you can read my letterbox review at Danny G Reviews. <laughs> yeah, I think the movie succeeds at what Satrapi was trying to to get viewers to do, which is to go out and research on their own about what they can do in this moment or more about the history because a big part another big theme is looking back and knowing your roots and uh you know coming to terms with history and uh and i think if it's not talked about then it'll get lost like if this movie wasn't made people wouldn't a lot of people would have no clue like before this movie i had no clue about all these issues and i it was a relative hit the budget was 7.3 million so 6 million of that went into the actual animation 1.3 million roughly went into marketing of course they you always under report the budget for marketing Hmm. it's always more than you think it is but still budget 7.3 million box office 22.9 million so compared to its budget it was a hit that's really good also because of its critical acclaim being on all these lists it is having a long thriving career in dvd and rental sales and she's been successful in her own right too she's also directed a couple movies right after this or not right after but a few years after this she directed chicken with plums which i think was pretty well received Oh, she also directed The Voices with Ryan Reynolds. That is an insane movie. I've never seen that. I that don't know is that completely. Is. Oh, it's about uh, Ryan Reynolds is a serial killer, hmm. and his dog in the movie talks to him, and he what? kills people. I've never heard of that movie. That's, That's so interesting. Nuts. That unfortunately is it good. Um, it's violent. I don't think you. It's your favorite. It'd be your favorite. Okay. It has yeah. a great Ryan Reynolds performance, and you know how we feel about Ryan I Reynolds. I like Ryan Reynolds. When did they come out? 2014. Hmm. So Interesting. If you're in for a quirky, twisted, bonkers comedy thriller, look up The Voices. I had no idea that she directed that. That's that's nuts. Huh. 
that's range right there. And if we go for an animated movie about Iran to yeah. a live action Well, and movie. Chicken with Plums is also a very, like, family-centric movie about her roots as well. So that's kind of oh. in the same vein. But I guess the voices is very different. Yeah. <laughs> How random. I had no idea. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, we've, we've gotten off topic a little bit. I'm trying to remember where we left off, but I think we're talking about like seeing stories from different perspectives. And I think that one of the things that she talked about in an interview I watched with her was that this story couldn't have been written right after she left Iran for good the second time in 1994 because she was like too close to her anger and the violence that was still going on. Mm -hmm. And so she really had to come to terms with that in an artistic way and a nuanced way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, again, it's like not only is she presenting this to the, again, quote unquote, Western world as something that you need to sit with and really, you know, if if you want to understand it, similar, like what you were talking about with understanding your family roots, this is something that I'm really invested in, especially after I read Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Have I talked about it on the podcast yet? I'm sure I have. Oh, yes. <laughs> Everybody should go read that. It was life-changing. It changed my life. Anyway, a lot of it talks about doing the same thing. And obviously, this is very different for people who come from the United States versus anywhere else in the world. But this is something that you have to do. You have to look with a very critical eye at where your your ancestors came from. And you can't go back and be revisionist. You really have to come to terms with where you came from. And that, again, is something that everybody has to sit with in a very nuanced way and come to terms with and take responsibility for. And use as a leaping point to go forward and to not repeat the sins of your of your ancestors and i say very pointedly the sins of your ancestors because not everything if if you're looking into your past and only seeing positives that's a problem and i think that in margie sort of the fictionalized version of Satrapi, but as well as the real person, um, I don't think that she has those rose-colored glasses. I think that there are nuanced readings of what have happened in her ancestry for thousands of years that allow her to come to terms with like being a proud Iranian and also not saying that that her family is perfect. Mm -hmm. And that I think that's a really healthy place to land um and it that's that's a challenge that i think everybody has to do right because there's also the argument to be made a few of her family members are political activists Mm. and they're killed because they're open about their beliefs the moral dilemma being it's like well if you just kept quiet you'd be alive Mm -hmm. right so she's kind of she's the whole story she's coming into terms with how to be a political activist, but also how to survive in that's tough. Yeah, in it's this a, culture. Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, that those are, them's the stakes, I guess. Yeah. Like we talked about this in our Brokeback Mountain episode about Jack. Like, there's a very compelling argument that if Jack had just been more careful with his homosexuality, he might still be alive. Right. But then, what kind of life then are you living? Exactly. Is that a full life? I mean, that's the kind of question that's really complex (laughs) you know do you get to do you get to live a full life but it's only a half part of who you are or do you get to live fully realized but you get an abbreviated life Mm -hmm. um i guess the answer to that is that they're living in an oppressive society and whose fault is that it's Mm -hmm. society's fault um so i guess like the 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 bigger question is you know how are you participating in that society that allows someone to not be their full self without risking literally at at best bodily harm at worst your life is over and marjan experienced that in vienna with her friends not really being her friends yes they could see straight through her they knew she wasn't french Mm -hmm. And for those who did know she was from 
Iran, they had the wrong impression about her because they had the wrong impression of Iran. They have no idea the experiences that people are going through. And that's another big thing about the stories is that they're trying to say the wars and the conflicts that are going on in a certain place do not necessarily represent the people Mm -hmm. in them. Yeah. And to a lesser sense of stakes, that's another thing Marjan gets over by the end of the movie is that she might face vitriol and hate outside of Iran when she explains that she's from there. But by explaining that she's from there, fulfills a void that she's had for years. And that's the void of identity. So now she feels full. I totally agree about her friends in Vienna. I love that you brought that up. That most likely comes in in the second book. So I didn't read that part. But I How love... <laughs> we have a podcast. We have a responsibility <laughs> for our listeners. I know. I only, I literally only found out today or last night when we watched it. It was a part two book. Um, but I love that idea that there are people who liked her as a friend But were they really friends if they weren't able to support her in a material way? You know, like that's that's the difference between posting a black and white photo on Facebook in quote unquote solidarity with, you know, oppressed women around the world and and, and actually doing the work to understand the complexities of sociopolitical issues in a country and actually challenging yourself to say if this makes me feel called to do something. What's the best way to use that energy? Mm-hmm. Like do the work instead of doing something symbolic. And that's that's what her friends do. They talk about like, oh, anarchy is the answer to all of these questions. Like, no, that's in any rational world, anarchy is not going to be successful. There's a reason and there's a place for government and railing against it as like, you know, a privileged, white, educated Austrian of all places, Austria, (laughs) is really not doing anything to even be empathetic toward her as a person, regardless of what's going on with her family back in Tehran. You know, Mm -hmm. she, she doesn't even find solace in a friend to be able to, like, share her, her inner, like, complexities and, like, trials. She, like she doesn't even find a friend yeah. in that you know what i mean they're they're just sort of this like idealistic ideologue and even her romantic interests fade away right yeah and and it's like every time she opens up in any sense she's sort of rejected and again this kind of goes back to that like ennis's fear of sharing his full self with people is fully understandable because yeah. he was putting himself at risk every time she felt like she opened up to someone in Vienna or outside, like even in the airport in current times, she experiences this, that people judge her for wearing a veil or being, you know, barbaric is what she is fearful of. And that's what people see. Like that's what people judge because of what they're used to seeing in media a lot of times, unfortunately. So again, like we can empathize with that feeling because those are real fears. That's not something like, I don't know, like arachnophobia. I guess there are also reasons to fear spiders, but but you see what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, like she could be physically attacked or like threatened for for the way that people see her if she opens up. So that's like a real threat to her. You know what I'm afraid of? What? Guess. Our podcast ending? <laughs> well, that too. But also losing you. And oh, bears. Oh, you're going to make me cry. And bears. I, uh, I bears. worry about that all the time. Yeah. yeah. I think we're also in a uniquely interesting point in time while, as we read this. Because during the number 45 presidency, a lot of people had the argument, I'm done with America. I might as well move out. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is another thing that Margie struggles with because she is in physical danger. And... That also, like, we experience that, a lot of people experience that. I shouldn't say us because we are, like, sort of part of that socioeconomic group that doesn't tend to face, like, direct bodily harm. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people were just like, this This country is dangerous for me. 
and it's time to leave because I am in like physical fear. And I think that's where she was in Tehran. I mean, they were at war with Iraq. Tehran was being bombed every night. Like she said, it, there was a there was a certain period of time where it was physically not safe. Again, like there, uh, the apartment building next door was bombed. Her friends, a couple of her friends, had died in that explosion. And but she was really conflicted. She was like, if I get to physical safety, I also can't help the people that I love the most. And so that like that fear of being in danger, but also feeling this allegiance to the people that you have the most love and connection for is a real concern. Like, definitely, that's another complex thing that, again, I think people still consider leaving the United States a a solution. And I, I can't necessarily judge people for that. I don't necessarily feel the same way, but there are moments when I have felt that way, you mm-hmm. know, um, and we weren't even, you know, being physically attacked by an outside country. I mean, there's obviously domestic terrorism that, mm-hmm. that we're already sort of dealing with, with gun violence and stuff, but, um, sure. But in, in terms of like being bombed right. from, from a, next door country that you know we're we're in a massively safer situation than they would have been so yeah it's it's just it is an interesting question to think about now that that we're also a lot of people voice that opinion yeah it's just illuminating because without watching something like this you think to yourself well why don't they all just yes yes and the whole point of the movie is that it's not as simple as just packing your bags yeah like where you're from what your identity is is everything. Well, and to your point, again, there is a quote by her father where her mother is just like, honestly, I'm done. Like, yeah. I'm done. They, they have this private conversation that Margie overhears and her father's like, what? So that, you know, I can be a taxi driver and you can be a receptionist. Like, that's not who mm-hmm. we are. We're educated Iranians that want to contribute to the society that we've grown up in and where our history is. It's not as easy. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, even physically leaving a country can be dangerous. Right. Um, they, they try to get a visa for some for a friend who has a heart attack. Oh, right. Yeah, that's the whole thing. They couldn't. Yes. At one point during the war, they couldn't leave at all, even if they wanted to. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that and that friend dies because he has uh, he has a heart attack, which obviously is a serious condition. But with the right medical aid, he could have survived. Right. And, you know, this is sort of the thing, too, where I think you talked about it earlier about how a government's war does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the general citizenship. Right. Just um, like a country's president might not reflect <laughs> what the majority of people think. Right. Mm-hmm. Who was number 45 again? Kidding. I, we don't say his the, name. We don't say his uh, name. <laughs> the, uh, wrapping up here, I want to bring up a film that could pair well with this film. Mm-hmm. It's a live action film. Like a wine and cheese Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's... And it's a classy wine. It's a Denis Villeneuve film. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm bringing up Denis again. Oh, wow, how surprising. <laughs> I brought up cast. It's okay. <laughs> oh, how wild it is for for Danny to gush about Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, this is, I don't know where this is coming um, from. Another French director, French-Canadian, True. so it's different. <laughs> different parts of the world. But uh, French nonetheless. It's his movie, his 2011 movie, uh, Incendie, which uh, takes place in the Middle East, but it's around a war between two fictional uh, Middle Eastern countries, Mm. which is uh, very important, I think, by not pointing out a specific place. You can kind of apply the wars to to every war, just like with these, the animation style, you can uh, apply it to any person. So yeah, Incendie is about kind of identity and about leaving a certain country through war. But war is hell, right? And war is so encompassing that even decades later, after you've left the country, you are still eventually brought back to a certain place. So uh, that's my recommendation, Incendie. It's a harrowing film, very tough watch, but rewarding. I love it. Yeah, I think it would go great with this. I, I just thought of it now. Nice. Actually, uh, this kind of is a good wrapping point because I was going to talk about a few influences that I thought I could see in the animation. So 
the book is very informed by German Impressionism yes. and that style. We talked about it a little bit in Macbeth. So obviously this story style would not have been informed by Macbeth. But you can see how thinking about those two things really evoke that starkness mm-hmm. sort of with the shadows and the and those negative spaces. Um, I also really enjoyed the emotion that the scene where she sees a friend, a neighbor who had been killed, she literally saw the hand of a neighbor who had been killed in a building collapse due to a bomb. And the way that the screen pulls away and she puts her hands on her face is very evocative of Edvard Munch's The Scream. Mm-hmm. And that has always... I mean, it's obviously, it's it's not only one of the most recognizable pieces of art in the world, it's also the most stolen pieces of art in the world. That's a random little art history fact that I've got in my art history box for you. Um, but obviously, like, one of the reasons it's the most recognizable is because it's so evocative of that, like, horror, sort yeah. of that feeling of, like, desperation and absolute bottoming out. So I thought, like, as a child, seeing another child's death yeah. would evoke that kind of emotion. So I thought that was really effective. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting when Margie is a teen and she goes seeking out some, like, bootleg music and she's wearing that punk is not dead jacket which love that image um she gets sort of pulled aside by these two like gatekeepers of islamic fundamentalism and they're like we're gonna you know take you to authorities and kind of give you a consequence for being this kind of person and the way that they talk to her kind of gave me no face from spirited away vibes you know what i mean like they have this like white face and the black veil and they kind Mm. of like turn into these like really kind of like amorphous things and so like i don't know exactly what that means but that's kind of what i thought about and i know no face is kind of contested in terms of like what that creature represents Mm -hmm. but it was just kind of this you can't really argue that it's not ominous in Spirited oh, Away. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting. Like, I don't know if she was influenced by that or if that just sort of subconsciously came through or if it's totally not related. But that was what I thought when I saw that. And it was very unsettling. So I thought it was kind of worth bringing up. Amen. Hot take your shout out Miyazaki. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I just, I actually just found a poster of Totoro at Goodwill. My neighbor and I'm Totoro. Like, I, yeah, I'm so obsessed with it because I, I grew up with that movie and it's so good. It's so good. Big fans of Miyazaki on the pod. We Are any of his stories based on books? We'll Maybe research we'll it later. Research. I don't think so. I feel like he was pretty much a creative right. writer. His but... mind was an endless well of inspiration and creativity final thoughts final ratings out of four stars for the graphic novel go um i haven't talked about this on the pod and i'm gonna try not to cry but i think one of the reasons that i just adored the movie was because of her relationship with her grandma and my grandma died right after we got married um so that was like a beautiful representation I think of like a grandmother and grandchild having this like very fleshed out personal close connection sure um oh my goodness yeah so that was one of my favorite points of the movie um I also liked how her grandmother sort of put her in place (laughs) yeah when she was taking advantage of her situation of oppression yeah and expanding that through her frustration and anger toward men. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was a really powerful scene. So in terms of effectiveness, I would say four out of four for the book because I just, I learned a lot. I was along with the ride the whole time. It was very effective, emotional story. Just because I thought the movie was slightly too fast, I think it it could have benefited from things being just a little bit more drawn out so that we caught everything that they wanted us to catch and not even like don't add dialogue i would i would say just add like a couple beats between scenes or a couple beats between lines or something like that just maybe give us a little bit better pacing i would say three out of four for the movie but but i don't have a lot of complaints yeah i mostly agree i would have liked kind of a context narration at the beginning to try to place it a little bit more because i did 
feel thrown into it. Mm-hmm. Again, partially my fault, not entirely my fault. I think some of the storytelling should have been more informative. Well, even, I mean, yeah, I don't, were there title cards with, with years, even if we had like, put ye- a title card? There or? were years, but I had a hard time differentiating between, okay, so this is when the Shaw, because mm. I, I was just learning what a Shaw was. Sure. I didn't even know that. So they're introducing that and then the fall of the Shaw. So it was just a lot. Sure. But, um, but I mean, as a piece of... Shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> as a piece of uh, educational text, I think it's a four out of four. As entertainment, for the reasons you just said, pacing, uh, inf- how information is delved out, it's a, a three out of four. Still solid. In Song D, it, it is a four out of four, but that's my Denis Villeneuve <laughs> We didn't talk bias. about his movie. I did. In the, I well, talked we about didn't, it. And we didn't analyze it. You can't rate True. something we didn't analyze. Well, I mean... I just did. It's it's our <laughs> podcast. What are the viewers going to do? Hey, if listening, what are you going to do? What are you going to do gonna about it? are going to send us some really mean emails. I'll, I'll delete it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't delete emails. We read everything people write us. I don't. I mean, is if it's a compliment, I'll continue on. <laughs> but other than that, yeah. We take constructive criticism. I take constructive criticism. And then I cry <laughs> and, and it will bother me forever no i cry but i also take it (laughs) yeah sticks and stones may break my bones but words will haunt me uh, for the rest of my life well what a wonderful episode will we will be back next week with the season seven finale our coverage on little fires everywhere the book and the miniseries can't wait to tear into that (laughs) don't don't show your cards right away that will be a fun episode because Laura and I have vastly different opinions, uh, which is rare. Usually we're pretty on the, pretty much on the same page, but uh, not with next episode. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, follow if you want to. Um, and yeah, we will be back next week with our series finale. After that, we're taking a long break to go to a few weddings and a few bachelor parties. Um, we, Laura's not coming. I'm, I'm going to the bachelor parties, but yeah. Um, one of which is with Ryan. Ryan Burns. Yeah. And Tim, I guess. And Matt. (laughs) So most of the people that have been on this podcast. But Ryan's the most important one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. So we will be back. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see ya on the next one. I just want to end with a tag to say that Iran has been the victim of pretty serious flash flooding in recent weeks. They've been in the news a lot just because of the devastation that climate change has wrought on their country. So if anyone is interested in donating, there are plenty of organizations that you can connect with, including the International Rescue Committee and Islamic Relief USA. But if you have another place that you're interested in, like either volunteering your time or donating to, it would be really helpful. Thank you.